Hello, and welcome to the One Sacred Pause podcast. I am Jessica, your host, and I'm so happy to have you be joining us again this week. Um, Before we dive into this episode, I just have a quick announcement. We are starting to wrap down season one of the One Sacred Pause podcast. We are having 12 episodes, and currently you're listening to episode 10. So thank you so much for being here and supporting this really deep passion project of mine. And if you're just starting to listen in now, go back and and tune into the first few episodes. Uh, There's something really uh, special to pull out of each one of the interviews. So, And also, we have a lot of cool trainings coming up with the Atman Yoga School. So go check out our website, www.atmanyogaschool.com, and see if you want to join us and come learn about yoga and meditation and Ayurveda and yoga philosophy. Uh, We have... Something for everyone, if that's your jam. One Sacred Pause with Jessica Winder. I am really excited. Today's episode is going to be so fun. I am interviewing um, a yogi, not a yogini, a yogi from outside of Copenhagen. And we are going to be talking about meditation and why he's so focused on the mind and neuroscience and delve a little bit into the business of yoga which is a passion of both of ours and how we can reinvent ourselves as a yoga teacher and maybe transform and shift our perspective as we uh, refine and deepen as a teacher of these practices so i am talking to yepa ogo so welcome Thank you so much, Jessica. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. And yeah, I forgot to mention, we're also going to be talking about your book and the meditation that you take out into the high schools, which is so rad. So I'm kind of like, <laughs> where do we start? Where do we start? Yeah. But well, can, can, can I start by yeah. saying I'm, I'm extremely grateful that you reached out to me. I think that's absolutely incredible. And I love what you're doing. And um, yeah, I'm just really happy to to be uh, to be on the podcast. So thank you so much for that. Yeah, you're you're so welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It's um, you know, I, t- I talk about this a lot in other places, but um, the practices of yoga, even though and meditation, of course, even though they are deeply personal, we have to have our community around us. We have to have like-minded individuals and really you know, be able to support ourselves and encourage one another so that when we stumble along the practice, the personal practice, we have a community to fall back on to, you know, say, keep going, keep going, you're doing the right thing. And for me, you know, coming into Scandinavia and moving to Norway two years ago, it's been really hard to recreate the community or find the community that I used to have back in the States. And so I love getting to meet new people like you who are, mm-hmm. you know, just doing super cool things. And I really admire that and I really respect that. And that's why I reached out to you. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Well, I love it. And I'm, uh, I'm super excited for this, uh, this episode for sure. Yeah. So I think where I'd like to start is um, why, why meditation? Like why you're so drawn to the practices of meditation i think i mean it all yeah of course you cannot <laughs> it's uh it's such a personal uh answer to that and also of course it has to 
dig into the past a little bit uh, of my own past, but I think I think we have a lot of movement already in our uh, daily lives. I think we are very accustomed to movement and to going from A to B, and you know it's very very natural for us to to move. And I think what meditation puts it aside, what kind of differentiate meditations from other practices is that we are forcing ourselves to stay still, um, not only in mind, but also in body, but obviously those two are really connected. And so I think for a lot of people, such a dramatic shift in a way, such a unnatural behavior really makes a big impact on people. It's um, it's that stillness that can be really terrifying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, it can be very, very terrifying of just uh, sitting still and doing nothing. And a lot of people take this discomfort as being wrong. They take the discomfort of being still as something, uh, like I said, unnatural, but also uh, not right in a way. And I think the more we can talk about it, and the more we can uh, explain that this is a natural process and whatnot, the greater the change also we will be able to see in the end. But I think also the one of the reasons why the meditation is so big, of course, it's because I've, I've experienced myself really big results on doing the meditation. And um, of course, it's a slow process. But um, when you go through these experiences and you're like, I have to share this with people. <laughs> with people. <laughs> If if uh, if they knew, like if they if they somehow could feel the same way, you know, it would just be like, wow, you know, I I uh, I want to experience this view with more people too. Um, it's like standing on a beautiful beach and you're wishing, oh my god, if only ten of my closest friends were here as well, you know, we could enjoy it together. So I feel like that's really what it comes down to. I feel like if people knew, you know, where they could go with their mind, and oh my god, <laughs> yes. <laughs> It would be incredible, you know, so, yeah. I love that. That's like, um, I don't know if you guys have this in Denmark, but in the States, we always play this game. Okay, well, if you're stranded on a desert island, what are the three <laughs> yeah. things you'd take with you? Yes. And you're like, my meditation practice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. And that's also another thing I, I love, you know, like you have all these, um, there's so many ways to improve your life. Yeah. Um, but I think by far the simplest and cheapest and most accessible thing you could do is to meditate. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like, you know, especially you do a breathing meditation, you know, focusing on your breath. Yeah. It's like it's accessible all the time, everywhere. And uh, I think I, I, I'm really drawn towards systems and methods that can be applied by anybody, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and um, I would say meditation is definitely one of them. So I yeah. agree. And, you know, that's I we were talking before we recorded about that's the whole point of this podcast, One Sacred Pause, mm-hmm. is can we have these conversations around stillness and meditation and inquiry and mm-hmm. perhaps make these practices that can seem really esoteric and very far away and very complicated, um, can we bring it down to earth a little bit? And make them more accessible, make them easier to integrate into our daily life. And when we do that, then it's like, oh my gosh, everything changes about our perspective, the way we view ourselves, the way we view our the world around us, our relationships. Yes. But 
people are never going to get or we're never going to get to those benefits, that deep stillness, that deep sense of peace that comes only from within, not an external source, when you when you are meditating on a regular basis, um, we're never going to be able to get there unless we get over the hump of what we perceive meditation to be. Mm. And the perception of meditation is that it's hard, it's boring, it's still, you just <laughs> sit there. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and then you get hungry and then you get tired and then you start to think about, you know, what's what's what are the Kardashians up to? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so what um what are kind of your favorite you were talking about breath and focusing on the breath, but what ways do you like to make meditation more accessible? Yes, that's a good question. Yeah. Um well, first of all, I'm always trying to tell people, you know, start out in the in the in the small steps. You know, just um, if you can sort of imply a, a meditation practice over a week, you know, you do a, like 12 minutes to 15 minutes a day over a week. Uh, you start out by doing that, you know, just taking a simple technique and applying it for a week. And then when the week is almost done, you know, you ask yourself, well, I might I might just take another week. Mm. And then uh, after doing four weeks, you're like, well, well, maybe I should, you know, up the stakes a little bit and I'll take a month, another month. And um that seems to really be, at least for myself, also implying changes. You know, it seems way more uh, accessible. Um, another thing is that I think breathing meditation is one of the most basic meditations, but it can also actually be one of the most difficult ones, to be honest. I think actually the meditations I start out with is more like body scan meditation. Um, you know, you go through parts of the body mm-hmm. and you bring your attention to these parts one by one. And I think that's actually a really, really nice bridge between what you could say, like a like a life without meditation and a life with meditation, because I feel like you're you're focusing on something that people are very, to a certain extent, aware of. You know, at least they get reminded of it every single day, especially if you have any aches or pains or anything like that. So people are people. All everybody has a relationship to the body, whether it's a good or a bad one. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think to bring your attention to that seems very tangible for people. Um, and then you move on, of course. The breath also, of course, is very accessible. But I still think we notice the body more, actually, than we do the breath. And so body scan meditation is where I start with people. And um, I have recordings of them, and I, I give them to my students. And they practice that for um, for the first first uh, few weeks and then we move on to something else hmm. but uh, like I said I think from what I can understand on, on people's experiences it seems uh, like more one of the more tangible ones and then of course it's it's important to explain also the you know the the common <laughs> the common thoughts in a meditation the common experiences and whatnot yes yes so how long are those recordings or when you're working with students or clients what? How long do you start them with for a meditation? Yeah, so um, there's been a lot of done. Uh, it's been done a lot of research on meditation, and uh, at one point, uh, it was believed that it, it took 12 minutes a day of meditation over a period of eight weeks to see physical changes in the mind ne- neurologically. And uh, from, I know that that has been changed few times and whatnot but i kind of keep track of that because it, it was started me and i think it's a good 
duration of time. Mm-hmm. And so I do all my recordings in 12 minutes. Um, and people start out with the, with the recordings and then they get so, they get so uh, comfortable with, with them and they start to imply this habit of thinking this certain pattern. So they go through the body uh, with the recordings. But then at one point, and I tell them this, I tell them at one point, you're going you're gonna to feel like the body scan meditation is going too fast for you. Mm. Like you're going to feel like I'm skipping a beat almost. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I am going too fast and you actually want to stay with your big toe for a longer time than what I do in the, in the recording. And I say that is the moment where you let go of the recording. Mm. So in the beginning you were being guided, but now it seems like there's something else taking over. It's like there's a habit. There's a awareness, a perspective that is guiding you more than the actual recording. And that is the, the moment where you stop doing the recording. And that seems very natural to people. It's like being guided, right? And then you go through this, you go through the woods uh, a thousand times maybe. <laughs> or like you go, you go through this, you know, I, I show you the, the tour of the woods for uh, the first few times. And then, you know, your mind might start to get curious. You know, you're asking, well, we've been going this certain route like every single time, but I kind of want to head down here. I want to see what's down by the lake or I want to see what's up with this tree over here. And that's where you, you know, that's where we part and I go, uh, go on and you, you take a detour, mm. but you're still in the woods, if that makes any sense. You're still in this space and now there's a certain intuition that's guiding you rather than my uh, voice on a recording. And that's a really, really good, I think that's, that's the purpose of it. It's never meant to make people totally dependent on this recording. And if they don't have any Wi-Fi, you know, they're, they're, they're not going to be any good. You know, it's, it's to imply this habit. And I think I can explain only so much. But if I can create an experience for somebody, that is the true beginning of the, of the teaching. And that's the true beginning of, of the process for them. So the quicker, and this is also one of the focuses in the book, the quicker I can get to the emotional experience, the quicker I can get to creating the emotional experience for the student, that is my main goal because I know that's where it really takes off for the student. So what do you mean by uh, the emotional experience? Right, yeah. So, you know, it's super interesting to listening to people talk about their own experiences with meditation. You know, it's always a nice guideline um but neurologically you know we make memories because we connect strong emotions to certain situations so the very first time that you get this feeling of being truly present hmm. or the first time you get experience of uh feeling tremendous gratitude out of nowhere that's such a strong emotion that that will create a certain memory in you and your mind will consciously and also subconsciously try to get back to that state. Mm. And so once you start that in a person, once you make them experience what it means to be truly grateful, but not having a specific point of gratitude or specific reason to be grateful, once they experience that, I feel like there's no way back from there. I feel like that's really the way it takes off. That's where it's sort of like a generator that you started, like a self-sufficient generator. It's like now it will just fuel itself almost. And this experience will 
take them even further than, than I could ever have done with the, any of, of the teachings. So I feel like getting to that point first, getting to that emotional relation to that experience, that is truly where I feel the real teachings begin. Hmm. So that's, that's, that's a big passion of mine, and I'm trying to aim every single, every single thing I do in teaching to that, getting people to that state. Wow. Well, it's, I've never heard it explained that way. And <laughs> I love that. It's, it, makes, <laughs> it makes perfect sense. And, oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, as you're explaining it, I'm like, oh, I know exactly what that feels like. And of course, I want more of that. And, right. you know, from, from my own lens of, of experience. And, um, you know, but the other thing that that makes me think of, too, is, you know, of course, meditation is all about stilling the mind. And as the whole point is, can we get it slower and slower and slower and less distracted, less distracted, less distracted. But when we do that and we, we get to turn inward in such a deep way and, you know, the yoga philosophy would talk yeah. about too and the energetic anatomy, we're also working our way backwards from the grossest, meaning the densest or most physical which would be, you know, our, yes. our very physical body, our muscles, our cells, mm. our tissues. Um, but I'm thinking about the koshas right now, like the mm. layers of the, the five koshas. And we get to, mm. you know, we have the physical body. Then we move in to more of the emotional body and mm. personality. And then finally, you know, hopefully we get to the very center, the, you know, Ananda Maya kosha, the bliss body. Mm. But yeah that makes perfect sense to me as you're talking about describing that emotional response to the state of meditation where, yeah, we're moving from the most further points of our existence or our reference and we're getting into the space that's totally unknown or unknown territory, even though it is still us. Mm. It's just, we're so distracted by the external that as we're making our, I'm thinking of like a, a, I'm not a Star Trek person at all. Like I know nothing <laughs> about it, but I'm, I'm thinking of this reverse analogy where in the Star Trek, you know, mm -hmm. the whole point is they're traveling to these unknown. Yes. What is it? What there's like that. What's the tagline? Like to infinity and beyond. No, that's yeah, not that's it. True. <laughs> or, no, that's Buzz Lightyear. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, I think like, yeah. Anyways, I'm thinking of, in my mind, I'm visualizing, you know, the universe and the space and we don't know where it ends and we don't know what we're going to find. But if we reverse that, and we think of that, that unknown limitation of the universe within mm. us. Mm. So instead of the, the space exploration taking place further and further away from the center mm. or the earth, we think yeah. about this space or spirit exploration that's moving more and more and more into the center instead of away from it. And right. so, of course, we're going to have to move through all the layers of our being the most physical, then we come into, you know, where, what is this emotional body that we have, the mental body that we have? Some of it's tangible. Like, I mean, you could have a dissection of your brain, but then we, we start to cross into some territory where it's harder to explain how some mm. of these things happen in the body, like how we get assigned our personality when we take this human form, like where does that come from? Our likes, our dislikes, our preferences, the way we talk that, you know, choices that we make and how we dress or wear our hair. Um, right. And so anyways, to me, when you're talking about the emotional 
experience. I'm just like, yes, I get it. I get it. <laughs> I love it. And I, I yeah. just had never really considered it so much in my personal practice of meditation. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, um, there's a lot of different opinions about that. Of course, I mean, of course, in terms of emotions and what what to have in place and whatnot. Um, and of course, people will move even further in that. They will move like to spaces they never thought of before. I think the reason why I'm so fixated on the emotional part is because I, you know, it's just studying like human behavior. Also, it's like giving a child a piece of candy. And mm -hmm. it's great, and it creates a emotion of bliss and joy, <laughs> and joy in getting this candy. And they will, they will, you know, their mind will take a snapshot of that, and subconsciously also try and bring you back to that moment and bring you back to that sensation. And I think just trying to like, just trying to introduce people to these new habits and whatnot, I think this is a very effective way to do it because it just kind of, it just copies this behavior from. Everything else, basically. I think, like you, like you talk about, you know, the the steps of that, and you're getting these experiences, and you're getting to that, I guess, in some way, in emotional reward from from doing what you're doing. And um, that that is my starting point: is showing people and making the giving them this experience rather than uh, giving them a lot of knowledge really, really quickly. Uh, I think it starts with the with the personal experience, and uh, neurologically, that's also um, yeah, you can that's also verified <laughs> through that as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. So I know Yepa that yeah. you you also teach asana, and your background yeah. in the asana is really like the Ashtanga lineage, and now. Was meditation always a part of your practice or did that come later? Like when you first started practicing yoga and then started teaching yoga? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it definitely came later because I um, I started with the, with the asana practice. And uh, thankfully, I had a teacher that time. He was really into meditation as well. Uh, there's different opinions about the asana. Some people say that that is a meditation practice in and of itself. Mm -hmm. And uh, I definitely believe that. It could be, uh, but for me, to be honest, you know, I, I was uh, I was way more focused on doing cool stuff than, than, <laughs> than, than, uh, than doing any meditation. If I, if I only knew how cool what meditation was, then of course it would be different. But I didn't, you know. I was so stuck in the in the asana and especially all the balancing poses. I found that to be super fun. Yeah. So you know, I really had to force myself. And that's that's not a normal word to use in these uh, practices, but I really had to change my surroundings. I had to change my behavior to focus on on the meditational part. And um, so I was doing the asana to begin with, and then I had a bunch of difficulties uh, like before, like in my past. Um, I couldn't really speak fluently. I was um, stuttering. Like I had uh, speaking disabilities. Mm -hmm. uh, I was uh, dys dyslexic, so I couldn't spell really or read. And uh, I just had really poor concentration as well. And so, of course, the yoga helped with that. But like what really rewired and what really changed it was definitely the meditation. Mm. And so I think the yoga was a big part of it because, you know, it led me into this community it was kind of what, what drew me in to begin with. 
Uh, but personally, yeah, I saw the biggest changes in just the stillness and just, um, you know, I'm a very energetic person, I guess, to in, in my behavior. And so to really do a radical shift in sitting down and, you know, telling the body to stay still, uh, going against my natural behavior to make a radical change like that, I think that was super important for me. Um, but I also acknowledge that, you know, it had to come in a certain way. Mm-hmm. I think if someone pulled me aside in, uh, in when I was like 10 years old and told me now you have to sit down and, and, uh, and you know, pay attention to your breath, I think I would be like, no, you know, screw you. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. So I think, you know, I think that the yoga definitely, I think it all comes together you know, and creates this really, really um, great picture of what's possible because, I think yoga also taught me a big important lesson is that you know you cannot uh, you you don't you don't know what you're capable of, and that had to come to me in a very physical physical um, manifestation. I guess you know I had to be able to do these tricks to be able to realize okay I'm actually I can change things. You know it's like there's more than than meets the eye in myself as well. Yeah. So I, th- I think that was a big experience, and I think it all led to this moment, of course, like anything else. Um, I just personally, I had, you know, the, my biggest experiences was definitely through the meditation. And, um, you know, that, that feeling of like, you know, you fall in love with something tangible and something very physical, and you fall in love with it, and there is this sensation of love but then it can also be overtaken by desire. And what do I mean the difference with that is that I think desire with desire also comes the, the fear of letting go of it. So there's something tangible and you, you are so possessed by it in a way that you're also afraid of losing it in a way. And I feel like you get that with physical manifestations, of course. Um, you know, there's the bliss of having it, but there's also the fear of uh, not having it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like with the meditation was my first experience of being in something. It's very emotional, yeah. Uh, it was my first experience of being with something that I knew that would never leave me again. Mm. Or And that sounds also because, of course, it comes from a perspective of me being something and something leaving me. But there was just this unconditional love. And from that moment, I just knew that this will always be here. I might not be able to see it. <laughs> I, might, I might be too caught up in my head or something. But it was just a realization of something that has had always been there, that would always be there. And I just, I just had the burning sensation that the more I can connect to this, whatever it is, um, that that is my life. Like that, that, that is it. Mm. And uh, yeah, anyway, <laughs> no, I have, I have like goosebumps <laughs> yeah. over here because that's, okay. that's been my experience also. And it's, mm. it's almost indescribable. Like it's hard to put into words yeah. the exact sensation of what that feels like. And I know exactly what you were talking about too, where you're saying, okay, there's that tipping point where you right. have that experience of the love. But then, and that's great. That's amazing. That's what keeps you mm. wanting that. Right. But then if you cross over and 
Mm. you're now have that desire component or we, you know, the attachment component, <laughs> the yoga yeah. word we love. <laughs> yeah. um, there's also now an expectation and mm. we have an expectation that's somehow linked to that desire. And if that expectation isn't met, we get disappointed. And then we get in this spiral, you know, of, of yes. back and forth. Yeah. <laughs> attachment and aversion and oh I want it and it's it's all just distraction at that point yes. we've we've yes. lost the connection to the source of that love or that feeling of bliss or that just you know for me it really feels it feels like a secret that I have that I don't want to tell anybody about <laughs> because it's so lovely and personal and it's a secret that like I just carry with me wherever I go you know sitting on the bus standing in line at the Starbucks you know teaching a yoga class it's it's not something that we have to talk about or have to share once we've cultivated it to the point of it becoming part of who we are mm. and yes it's elusive you know it's not it doesn't mean like okay once we get to that place we're constantly in a state of samadhi or enlightenment <laughs> like no. that's not it at all no it's <laughs> rather like we just catch these little glimpses and sometimes if we're in a really connected space of meditation it's just it washes over you and you're just like wow this is really amazing yeah. and then other times it is more elusive and you're like oh gosh i am really distracted and unrooted today but we still have that faith that that connection yeah. exists within us and always will. Whereas the physical practice, you know, some days we got it, some days we don't, some weeks we have it, we don't, some years we have it, some years we don't. Mm, yeah. And it's, you know, the physical is just the tool and it's so fun and it can be super exciting, but, um, everything that we learn on the mat is a practice to help us when we're, in the meditation <laughs> and that consistency <laughs> yeah the effort that we put in to show up day 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 what's that saying day in and yeah day in and yeah. day out and um you know as we were talking about this too it reminded me of something that i wanted to ask you that we haven't talked about um i think i saw on your instagram you had written a post about failure mm. was that you yeah. Yeah. And that was one of the other things where I was like, oh man, I want to talk to this guy. Cause mm. it, you had a wrist injury. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really bad one. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's so crazy. And I did my last episode was, or two episodes ago was about this, but I actually wow. had um, cancer in my wrist oh, wow. and yeah, totally random nutty and went through treatment two years ago, but I had the cancer for several years before I knew what it was. Mm. And, um, it, it really impacted my physical practice, which was the catalyst. I'd already, I had a strong, uh, meditation and chanting practice and, but going through that experience, my asana was so limited. I mean, I couldn't do much <laughs> mm -hmm. at all. And so for me, that's when the meditation and my chanting just was like, okay, here we go. This is, <laughs> this is what I really care about. And so I just was wondering, like, this idea of failure that you wrote about, like, what do you think about that and the lessons we get from fail and perceived failure? Yeah, because I feel like, yeah, like, um, like it, it's really interesting towards like, like, you know, once we are past a certain failure, we see the, we see the point of it. Yeah. Of course. And I think, you know, the more, the more of those experiences we get, the more clear we cannot be as well. 
because next time you're gonna have a failure you, you gotta remember okay so last time that taught me something and now I now I, I learned that um, for me for sure yeah it was definitely a moment to deepen my meditation practice absolutely um, like just like you I, I couldn't I feel I don't feel like I could do anything <laughs> any any practice really and um, especially in this like Ashtanga Vinyasa um, practice you know we use our wrists a lot because you know we're doing a lot of vinyasas and flow and whatnot and um i was so in love with the handstands like i still am i still find them like a uh, tremendous fun to mm. do and i really enjoyed um but i reached a point actually where i was like i i i knew that i had to deepen my meditation practice um i knew that i had to go deeper into this and I don't know whether it was like a manifestation in and of itself or something, but like the following week, and I knew this, I knew I had to do this. And I was looking at these like retreat centers and whatnot, like to go and do uh, more meditation. And the following week I did my practice and there was this crack in my wrist. Oh. Uh, you know, I was doing like, I knew that it was a bit tight, but then it was like, you know, something was, was off, of course. And, um, you know, it, and ever since then, I've just been, been trying to deal with the best way possible. Now it's, of course, better, but I cannot help but looking back and going, well, you know, was that a manifestation almost? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, and uh, now, of course, you know, I am extremely grateful for, the, for what it had led me to. Um, and I think also, no matter what you're doing, you know, you will experience failure. It's It's bound to happen, whether you are, teaching meditation or yoga or whether you are someplace else um if you're you know you always experience some sort of failure and failure is not uncommon but of course it's the way we're handling the failure and i think for me it was just such a big experience because you know an injured wrist is an injured wrist and you know you took good care of it and most likely you will come out on the other end but for me, you know, it was a whole different injury. <laughs> you know, uh, my wrist might have been swollen and, you know, it might have been bad. But like my ego was bruised to infinity. <laughs> <laughs> the truth comes out. Yes. That was really it, you know. It was mm -hmm. my ego. Uh, and of course it is like, but like I was just, you know, I was so compelled to get back on track and I could not handle myself lacking this certain level of performance mm. and you know i think in moments like this you know it's so tempting to blame blame your body of course of not allowing you to do this uh but i also start to notice that it was so tempting to blame my teacher it was oh. so <laughs> it was tempting to blame the community i was in it was so tempting to blame my own existence and just in general the choices that i had made and whatnot you know it was so tempting to blame all these different factors and i think once again through meditation and that observing point um i could really tell that there was no no one to be blamed you know it wasn't happening to me it was just happening it was just occurring and um i think honestly i think that was the biggest lesson you know of course you learn okay well you know you get all these uh you have all these bones in your wrists and they have all these functions and 
they do all these things but like you know of course the inward journey was of course was the biggest like there was a you know my wrist might have been a bit uh, uh how do you say a bit stiff but like you know my mind was just you know rock solid mm. but not in a good way yeah <laughs> you know, yeah like, that was really what was swollen you know and um i think you know, I, I, I couldn't take the pressure out of my wrist before I took the pressure out of this. And that was really what brought me to my knees. You know, it was all this self-inquiry of like, well, you know, I'm doing this yoga practice, but obviously my ego is uh, completely imploded. And I'm just like, I'm just, uh, you know, like here I was thinking that I was reaching these levels, but obviously my mind is just so stiff still. And that that really was the biggest part. And then you're starting, you know, you're starting to feel, oh, well, I shouldn't be teaching because obviously I don't, I don't know enough to teach students. And why not you try and explain all of this? But this like stream of emotion is just the perfect opportunity for meditation. And what I mean by that also is like, if you talk about more like, you know, more like um, brain related, you know, it's like this level of metacognition that's happening where you're thinking about thinking and watching your thoughts from perspective and whatnot like you're bound to rewire your brain and of course if you're not aware of what's happening you, you know you could rewire your brain in a in a, in a negative way yeah you could wire it in like you know worst case scenario like going into a depression even but if you're aware of this and this is where i think meditation is brilliant because that's really what you're doing you know you're applying awareness you're becoming familiar with your patterns and this awareness it can allow you to take that step back. It can allow you to to not question your skills as a teacher, but also that. <laughs> <laughs> You're also questioning your thoughts surrounding that. And that's that's really where it blows my mind completely because you are basically what you're doing. You know, we I, I love talking, you know, highly spiritual talk about meditation, but I also love the super tangible stuff of like, well, basically you're just training perspective. Mm -hmm. You're just, you know, your mind, you know, your neurons are connected in a certain way when you meditate. You're training, you're training the habit of questioning your thoughts. You're training the habit of, t of keeping distance to your thoughts. You know, you're breathing and you start thinking about, I have to go to the cinema later or something. Oh, that's true. I have to focus on the breath. So it's like you're taking the value out of your thoughts in a way and reconnecting to what is actually here. And I think if you do that enough, then neurologically, that will just be put in your subconscious. It will take a space in, uh, in the back of the brain and subconscious, and you will start to do this without even knowing it. And that's when I think meditation takes another step. Um, and I think in this case, it's totally what brought me back to my life and now of course you know you know i i can teach people how to do a handstand and whatnot um and of course you know it, like i said it's a lot of fun and you know handstands are way more sexy than sitting sitting down and watching yeah so you know it's a good it's a good it's a good way in sometimes but i think i think that's really when i got the respect of like wow you know it was like something else pulled me out uh of this and um like in the quote, you know, I'm a big Star Wars fan. I love Star Wars. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so you can speak more to my my poor analogy <laughs> than I can. Yeah, no, I, I I love it. You know, I, I, uh, I I'm really into this. Uh, there's a whole nother, yeah, there's a whole nother discussion. But like, 
I think, I think really, you know, like really the, you know, really seeing failure as the greatest teacher, of course, is, uh, is a big lesson in and of itself. And, um, I think, and we come back to the emotional experience we talked about before, but I think once you connect with that, not just hear it from some, somebody, but once you experience that, then that's an experience that you cannot, you cannot ignore anymore. Like once you had a failure really teaching you something valuable, you know, that emotional strongly connection you have with that, that will lead you back to that when failure occurs again. Yes. And I think, I think the reason why you can see that now, for me at least, you know, with my uh, poor concentration, you know, it's that, that, that I owe that part, some of the part to meditation, being able to see that failure for what it was being able to have that perspective on it. And um, once you experience that, then I don't think there's no way back really. You know, your mind is is so strongly wired towards that. And um, you will take that with you when you go on. Yeah. Well, and it's exactly to this idea of the sacred pause. And when we are encountering some sort of perceived failure, um, you know, whether it's in our physical practice or it's something that happens in our life or it's some kind of a setback. Um, it's exactly that. Like either our brain jumps to the default of the story, the negativity, like, oh, my yeah. God, why, why am I such an idiot? Why did I, you know, break my wrist? Why did I do this? And now I can't teach. And now everybody, you know, I don't know what your exact thought pattern was, but I can imagine something, like that, yeah, something like that. you know, we just, it's like a runaway yeah. train where we just keep adding on more judgments and more negativity. And, and then you're right. The next time we have some sort of perceived failure, that train's already started. And so we're like, okay, I remember this is bad. This is negative. Oh, I'm such an idiot. Or if we can create like this buffer with slowing the thought just down and then we see this perceived failure and we're like, huh, wow. Okay. This is new. (laughs) This is interesting. My wrist no longer. And now I'm talking about my experience. Mm. My wrist Mm. is no longer available to me in the physical sense. So Mm. what happens? And then the next time we see another perceived failure, we have that space that, that pause in time, the pause in the thought that allows us to maybe more clearly, more accurately see the situation rather mm. than immediately defaulting to assigning the judgment and the blame and the guilt and the fear and the anxiety and all of that stuff. Mm. And, you know, my experience uh, having all of my wrist issues and then because um, it impacted my physical practice for years before it was diagnosed as cancer. Um, so, and it was a huge shock when it happened, totally unexpected six days before I moved to Norway. Um, but anyways, the, my experience, because at that point I'd already been teaching for a long time and, and practicing and meditating and doing a lot of the inquiry, my experience was very much like, huh, wow. This is my this is my yoga practice, and I don't mean yoga asana. I mean <laughs> the yoga of the inquiry and sitting mm. and sifting through the emotions and sifting through the observations that came up because I was limited and in the physical sense. And mm. I really, I actually, aside from like the the cancer part of it and every all, every emotion that goes up with that, um, 
the actual limitation of my physical body, which also could have been a perceived failure, uh, really led me to a space of, of deep compassion and understanding. And I actually wouldn't trade that. I wouldn't no. trade that experience, even though it was highly painful, both <laughs> physically and emotionally. Um, no. the, the experience of going through that, kind of like what you were saying earlier, once we have that experience, we have this knowledge about it really has set me up for a space moving forward on the spiritual path, both as a teacher and as a student, to have a more, um, a wider perspective. Mm. Not everything is as it seems on the surface, you know, and I do think that there are certainly, um, if you're present and you're open to the experience, you know, seeing what, what the whole point is behind it, maybe. Mm. And it's not just like, oh my God, I've got this bad thing that happened and life sucks and then I'm going to die. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, that might be part of it, but it's also like, wow, what is going on? My mind is racing. My thoughts are going to all of these crazy places. And the practice is really staying centered. Mm. Even when we have these crazy things happen in our life. And how do we then start to translate? Like you and I have very big examples of, you know, very serious injury. But if we simplify that down, all of us have small examples that happen every day. Oh, the, the car ran out of gas or the train got canceled or, you know, my dog ate something that she shouldn't have and now she's sick. Like there's always a million little things that can happen that are like, ah, this is a small failure and my day is ruined or, and again, like you were saying too, with the neural pathways and creating that new method of communication between the neurons of the brain is going to go one of two ways. It's going to go the negative track or it's going to go the positive track. And I work very hard to help keep reminding myself to stay more on the positive track mm. and not just from this false sense of like, oh, life is amazing. I have the best <laughs> life in the world. Like not this false sense of exuberance, but this more quiet contentment, mm. even as I ebb and flow, flow through life. And I use this example um, in my teacher training programs, and I think maybe I used it in another podcast, but mm. it's the difference between somebody looking outside and seeing that it's raining and they're like, oh my God, it's raining. It's nasty. It's cold. The weather's terrible. I don't want to go outside. And then the person next to them being like, yeah, it is. It's pretty gross out, but you know what? It's great because we're getting the moisture that we need and it can help put out the forest fires in Sweden and it can, you know, water our gardens and keep everything lush and fresh and, you know, the gardens that are growing and the food that we eat. And then mm. the next day comes, so one of negative and positive, and then the next day comes and it rains again. And that same negative person's like, oh my God, it's just going to rain again tomorrow and it's going to keep raining. And the positive person's like, yeah, it's true, but maybe tomorrow will be sun, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, and it's just, it's a different mm. perspective. It's a different way of looking at it, but it comes down to what's your default. And mm. that means like, if you are making a mental judgment about something and I mean, we do it, you know, tens of thousands of times a day, is your, your initial reaction going to be one that's more on the positive side or one that's more on the negative side? And, you know, it's been proven too scientifically that when we meditate, we are able to strengthen, you know, the amygdala and 
the way our memory and like what you were saying, your experience with your concentration, mm. but also the way in which we view the world. We become less reactive, less volatile, less negative. Yeah, well, there's a really, yeah, there's a really interesting thing going on. I mean, oh yeah, oh my God, I could do almost a three-hour podcast on just meditation and brain activity. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, um, there's a really interesting part happening between uh, something called the hippocampus in the brain. Mm-hmm. It's a part of the, um, the limpid brain, the limbic system in the brain. Well, also, you talk about amygdala. It's part of that. And um, together with a part of the cortex uh, in, the, in the very front of the brain, so like right above your eyes, it's like a part called the uh, orbitofrontal cortex. And uh, together, yeah, they, they regulate and they are in charge of response to emotions, for example. And so, like you just talked about, you know, there's so much incredible research done. And, um, like, I think when you break something down really tangible and scientifically, I think I think that really brings people together sometimes. I know that in our business, you know, like, if you do a class for, for, uh, for you know, dedicated yogis or whatnot, um, you, they might not be uh, need as much convincing, you know. Right. Uh, but I think for me at least, you know, tapping into people who never touched upon meditation before, uh, I think the scientific approach, and also you talked about positive and negative perspective, um, and how, you know, really, you know, it, it can come down to, you know, certain neurons that are connecting. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the more negative you think, you know, the more you keep, reaffirming this pattern you know the stronger the connection between those neurons become and uh that's why you see people some people are negative uh just in general and some people are just positive in general uh really just reaffirming these patterns and just re-establishing the connect these connections you know i mean the the neurons that fire together they will wire together and uh the more you keep practicing those patterns and it takes it takes a shift it takes a shift of perspective to say, to say, well, I am not my thoughts, and I'm going to take a step back from that. And that's really the beginning of the change, really. It's having these patterns and then t- taking a step aside from that and rewiring your brain in, a, in another way. And I think that's why the meditation part is the beginning, I believe, is the beginning because that's really when you're introducing this perspective. Then you will start to realize, okay, I do have a lot of negative emotions, you know. Mm-hmm. But now that you now that you're questioning them, you could actually reprogram your own brain, your own mind. And I think once you realize that, once you realize that, well, you know, my parents might also have been, you know, negative, or my childhood was not the best one, or whatnot. Once you start to realize that you can really reprogram your mind in a certain way, I think that gives you as a power uh, you know the feeling of, of being of at least having more power over your, your situation basically mm. and um i think i think that's why the meditation part is so strong because i feel like i don't think you know it's the beginning it yeah uh, sorry i think it is the beginning but of course you have to take action upon what you see so it's like you know you cannot just uh <laughs> sit down for like uh, 20 minutes a day uh, be at peace and then go yell in traffic you know <laughs> you have to reaffirm this pattern you know but i think the difference is that you know 
it all starts with doing the meditation. And then the next time you want to yell in traffic, you realize, oh, that's also just a thought. Maybe I should question this behavior of mine. And uh, now that I see this, it's really the beginning of that change, really. It's a long, it's a long, long talk, of course, but I feel like, I feel like that's why the meditation for me stands out because it's really the beginning of uh, of this perspective being unraveled and revealed. Hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, it's 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 unending. <laughs> like, there's, I mean, yeah. we don't even know where it can take us. That's no, the thing. No, no. Like, there's no end point in sight, which is, you know, no, no. kind of like the the space or the universe where we don't know where it ends, and yes. it doesn't end actually. No. <laughs> <laughs> At some point, like we just, you know, uh, depending yeah. on what your personal beliefs are, but yeah, you know, yeah. for me, it's ultimately takes me to a space of of connection with the divine and source, and yeah. it's just, yeah, God, so much to observe and think about yeah. as we go along the way, and it just always baffles me a little bit too. when I think about um, how many people, you know, and I don't want to sound, I want to be careful. This doesn't sound judgmental, but yeah. it's more of just an observation for myself that kind of sure. surprises me. You know, when you think about how many people are just walking through their daily life and they have no, no connection, no um, exposure to yoga or meditation. And they're just, you know, going to the grocery mm. store, picking up their kids at the Barnahog. And I just kind of look at people like that. And I'm like, God, what would that be like to have no connection to this practice that for me is absolutely not only life changing, but it's my whole purpose. And mm. it's, I don't know. It's just, it's so crazy to think about like, and then I just turn it around on myself when I have those thoughts and I'm like, Oh, <laughs> Well, Jessica, think about your life before you found yoga and how crazy you were and how, like, <laughs> you know, disconnected from reality you were. I'm like, oh, yeah, sweet baby Jessica. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, you know, the, the, uh, uh, of course, you know, and I have those thoughts as well. Like, of course, you, you're experiencing something, you know, you're experiencing something great and you want to share it with people. Of course, you know, it's, it's natural. Um I feel like what's great about the meditation practice is that, you know, it's really, it's really, you know, it feels more like, like reconnecting almost, mm. you know, for me, it's like, it's like finding something that was always there. Yeah. It's coming and home. So it's coming home. Exactly. And I think there's still a glimpse of that in, in, in everybody's life. You know, there's this feeling so in a certain way, you know, you look at people and you go like, well, well, you know, they're not, you know, they're not in the same space or whatnot. But in a way, you know, they are. It's like they're, they're already there in a certain way. And, and I, I know, of course, the physical man manifestation of that is not the way I, I am expecting it to be. But in a way, everything is already panning out the way it's supposed to be. Yes. And uh, and uh, that's sort of that's sort of you know thought I guess it must be of course but it's um, it seems like you know if they were to take out the meditation practice great you know I would love it and uh, the way they are now great I love it <laughs> in a way yes but I I totally see what you mean of course and, and I think also it's, what is very important to point out in this discussion is because we talk a lot about thoughts and and emotions and whatnot. And I think what is really standing out for this is that to enter these spaces that we talk about, 
I think the most incredible thing is that you cannot enter these spaces as a somebody. You know what I mean? Like, like it's like you're entering these spaces and um, you're seeing these, these uh, you become very aware of these situations, but to enter those spaces, you know, you really have to let go of the thought, of course, and the emotion itself. And then we return back and we have this sensation and we have this uh, mental picture of that. And now we become afraid of losing it or, you know, letting go of it potentially. Um, but I feel like getting into these spaces, you know, you realize, yeah, like everything is put together and everything is exactly how it's supposed to be. And there's no personal investment in that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I totally agree with that. And everybody's on their own path yeah. and everything yeah. unfolds in the time and space it's meant to. And, exactly. you know, that's why I just kind of laugh at myself because I'm human. We're all human. And we have yeah. these thoughts that come up in relation to judgment to others. Yeah. And, you know, for me, the practice then becomes, you know, because it's all everything we're talking about, the thoughts and the observation of the thoughts, the observation and identification of the emotions. You know, for me, when I have these thoughts of judgment come up towards other people, whether mm. it's from their asana practice, the way that they teach, the way they present themselves on Instagram, <laughs> there's a million ways <laughs> in which we, you know, do judge other people. And sure. for me, the practice, which is also part of my observation or, or the, the moving into the concentration practice mm. is to just flip it around to myself and be like, wow, isn't that interesting that I'm having that reaction and, mm. you know, thinking about just what my life would be like if I didn't have, didn't have these practices or if I wasn't a teacher. And I think about that a lot too, in terms of every present moment is an opportunity for choice. Mm. And Sometimes, you know, many times we're just on autopilot, even those of us who are trying really hard to be living more of a, of a spiritual awareness practice, you know, we get up in the morning, we make our coffee, we, you know, check our Instagram, whatever it is. And then we go and we stand in line at the bus and there's so many parts of our life that are on autopilot. And the practice, of course, is to have less of those moments <laughs> where we're on autopilot yeah. and more of the moments where we're actually intentionally present. And yeah. so I just, I really laugh when I see myself, observe myself having these thoughts and I'm like, gosh, any one of these moments, I could make a different choice. I could go a different direction. <laughs> and thinking backwards, the reflection part on the choices I've already made, um, yeah. You know, what if I didn't move to Norway? What if I hadn't said yes when my husband asked me, you know, if I wanted to take a mm. run on the ski slopes with him? What if I hadn't moved to Salt Lake? What if I hadn't gone to college in Colorado? Like, you know, I just, I look back through my entire history. I'm like, gosh, mm. any one of those moments in my life could have changed course, could mm. have been the operative word because what you and I are talking about is everything does unfold in the manner and space in which it's supposed to. So we can play this game, you know, this reflection game with ourselves where everything around us is a mirror. Every choice is a mirror. <laughs> mm. And yet all it still boils down to, no matter which direction we would have gone or will go in the future, it still brings us back to the point that we're exactly where we're supposed to be for us. Yeah. And it's, 
it's just this big circular observation for me anyways, that just makes me laugh at myself. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> yeah, well, Oh my God. And so when I see somebody who's not been exposed to yoga and Ayurveda on one hand, I'm like, Oh wow. What's that? Or I'm sorry, yoga and meditation. I'm like, um, maybe Ayurveda too. I don't know. Sure, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, on one hand, my first thought is this, this, a, a value judgment of like, wow, well, that's a bummer for them. <laughs> and then on the other hand, I'm like, oh my gosh, Jessica, you're being so silly. Like, who are you to put any sort of value on what their experience is when you are so, you know, you have more than enough to handle with your own experience of this existence? Right. You know, but then it comes, it's just, it's the, my point being about this whole thing mm. is that everything is an op- opportunity for observation. That's mm. it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's like, um, you know, I think once you connect to this part, you know, you're connecting with something that is so much more vastly bigger than yourself. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think it's just a matter of perspective, you know. Mm. And I think once that perspective is established, you know, these choices that we make, it it just, it turns into details, you know. Like we would say that... Uh, well, you know, you're, you're taking a trip to, you're taking a trip to a certain place. You know, like what flight are you going to go on? Da, 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 da. We would consider that details. You know, yeah. like the details to get from A to B. But I think, like, once you take this further step back in this perspective of like, like we talked about coming home and getting the sensation that there's something here that's always been here, um, is persisted through eternity, and. Um, my presence here is a manifestation of that, but it, it's it's a detail basically. You know, it's a it's a wave of of uh, of what's already existing. And I think you know that 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 thought can take you two places. It can take you to like a very nihilistic place of being like, oh, you know, that doesn't. I don't have an impact or whatever. Like you know, my life doesn't matter or whatnot. But I feel like. I feel like it can also take to a very, very beautiful place. Mm. It takes you a place of going like, well, you know, since everything led me to this place, and since I already noticed that everything is in perfect order, I know that it also be a very provoking thought, but since everything is, is, is in harmony, then these small choices that we make, these small thoughts that we have, these small ripples, they are details, you know, it's like, they are like small inclinations of, of, of all kinds of things, but, but um, in that sense, there's a forgiveness also and mm. a gratitude of just being a part of it. Yeah, I love that. I think forgiveness specifically towards the self is anything really (laughs) I mean yeah yeah, you know and and when we're thinking about all of this too I know our concept of time is so distorted and um I talked about this in a previous episode with uh, a woman from Trondheim who is she's a yoga teacher and she's also a a nuclear physicist and Mm -hmm. so we're talking about what what time could mean or a perception of time and you know, coming back to, yeah, super cool. And kind of the idea of quantum physics and, you know, love it. (laughs) Yes. Well, go listen. Uh, But one other thing, you know, coming back 
or looping back to our conversation about failure and, and our perception of failure and how perhaps that can impact or inform our choice and decision around that. Mm. Um, you know, one thing that I try to remind myself about too is how temporary everything is. Mm. And it's so easy to get attached to our experience and think that it's like, this is everything, the end all and be all. And, you know, if we consider how quickly time moves, at least the human perception of time, and say, say you're lucky enough to live an average of 80 years or something in this human form, that 80 years for us seems like forever. And yet in the scope of the universe or the scope of, of the divine, it's nothing. It's literally nothing. And so I think about like, okay, if I have some sort of a failure in my life and it's, you know, we've all had this, say you've been broken up with and you're just like, oh my God, you're, you're shattered. You know, your life is in ruins. And yeah. in that moment, it feels like it is. But then when you consider how very, very temporary <laughs> mm. that, that experience is, in the larger picture and yeah. specifically the larger picture of the journey of your soul or whatever, you know, you think mm. about that. Uh, it's almost, it becomes almost laughable. We're like, <laughs> wow, I am so myopic in my viewpoint here and so narcissistic in my viewpoint. <laughs> and which of course the ego, we have to be to some, some degree, but I, I just always, then I'm like, okay, this failure is so minor, temporary, even, you know, when I had uh, my health issues, being like, mm. wow, it felt so very, you know, of course, very serious mm. things happen and we do have a, a serious reaction to them. But then when we start to be like, oh my gosh, there's so many other things to look at in this experience. And for me, that's what meditation has taught me mm. is to put more of that buffer, more of that global viewpoint on things. And so even though, yes, we can be concerned with the details and really examine the details, we can do so from a place that's perhaps a little bit more neutral mm. and less reactive. And so it's this balance between, you know, the, the, the deep observation, the deep inquiry, but then also coming at it from a place that is without the attachment, without the judgment. Mm. And for me, that's the meditation in action. Every part of my life, that's what I strive to do. Some days are easier, some days not so easy, but it's, you know, again, I think we could just talk about this forever because it's so yeah. crazy. I mean, this is, this is what we do. <laughs> this is being human. And, you know, you said this before we started recording and then you've mentioned it since we've recorded. And I just want to touch on this really quickly before we, we wrap mm. up is, you know, once you feel the effects of a practice on you and how it can radically change your life, radically shift your view, you want to start teaching it and sharing it with other people. Yes. And, you know, that's what you do. You're a teacher. And one of the things that I find so inspiring, and I just want to hear you talk about it for a minute, is you're now bringing meditation into high schools. Mm. And you're sharing this practice with people who really need it. Teenagers. <laughs> mm. What what kind of brought this about and what has your experience been and what's the uh, response been? Right. I mean, first of all, um, my own teenage years was, uh, like I guess everybody's teenage years was quite confusing. <laughs> confusing. Um, and like I said, like I was struggling with like speaking disabilities and dyslexic and concentration. So you can probably imagine what, 
being in school was like uh, with, with those things and um and like really it, it came it came about as a thought of uh, of course this like we talk about this revelation with the meditation but also honestly the thought of like wow if i had those tools when i was there like what would my life not look like you know and of course people are dealing with all kinds of things um but i think most people could benefit from increasing concentration and maybe not taking their own life maybe too seriously in a in a positive way mm-hmm. and i think in that in those years where you're where you're developing so much and you're learning so much and you're really you're really also getting a certain perspective on the world you're also introducing other aspects into your life um i think i think you could really benefit from these techniques uh, to say the least and then it all came about because i knew that i wanted to take on a project like that i knew that i i wanted to reach into community uh, um where this meditation could have a big impact basically and, and then you know life life happens and then uh, one day i was at a friend's house and um she has a television i i have a television really and i don't watch the news as much but i just turned on the television and as i turned on the first the first segment of of the news was um that now the high schools were experiencing uh, experiencing a lot of stress and the students were complaining about the stress and i just knew from that moment like you know it's like you're subconsciously looking for something um and then it just it appears like that and it was so clear to me that of course this this is it and this is where i think that this meditation practice could have a huge impact and um like i was just so inspired by by being able to to pay this forward to these students and so um and so i i i was i was i was going around with this sensation of of wanting to 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 really help these these people out and and then things just started happening also like i got uh, contact from a from a fellow yoga teacher who was inviting me to come talk at at their school and so uh i went there and you know i i gave a presentation also once again trying to explain also with uh, with neuroscience and whatnot take that into the account and um there was such a great support about it and uh, people were really thrilled about it and then i knew that that you know i knew that it was having an impact and i knew that it was making a change and then i started taking like active action and and reaching out to the high schools and 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 really tried to um really tried to to uh to share this with them and the response has been mixed because i think i think like we talked about before like you know everyone is doing their best mm-hmm. everyone is doing what they what they can do and what they know how and i i respect the teachers that are teaching at those places so tremendously like it's it's such a big task and and i think they are all doing an in- incredible job uh in some cases of course you know it's some cases i've experienced that that um that a lending hand can almost be be um can almost be seen as a as an insult almost because mm-hmm. you know you can in a way you know you can you can be interpreting it as you know 
well, then I'm not doing my job well enough. Is that what you? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. And of course, it's nothing like that. Of course, um, I don't believe that. Um, you know, I don't believe that 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 uh, the school system should get all the responsibility because it's a huge responsibility. You're not only teaching a person something. You know, in a way, you know, you're you're um, growing and and teaching humans, you know, in all kinds of aspects. And that's a lot of things, you know, the hormonal changes that you're going through, the the learning that you have to, you know, the the um, just figuring out being a human in this society. And I think the high schools is a place where, you know, you're starting to get a lot of responsibility also. And there's a lot of, of challenges. Mm-hmm. And I think giving somebody a really, really simple tool that you can use for free that will have tremendous impact, not only if you're having difficulties, but might also increase your results that you're experiencing. And that's with anything socially, but also like, you know, just with um, with your with your faculties and whatnot. Yeah. I, I mean, think, I, yeah, I think this is like, you know, if I had, <laughs> if I had been meditating for 12 minutes, you know, I might be able to finish my essays much, quick, much quicker, you know, but just, just due to my concentration or whatnot. Yeah. So, you know, I think, you know, it's like once I started on this journey and once I started on developing this project and it led to a, a whole variety of things, you know, I was just so grateful for this opportunity and this uh, this chance to to uh, to have an impact in a place, not only in a place that needs it, but also in a place where I have this connection to myself and this experience. It's being at these places and talking with the students afterwards, I mean, like, yeah, like once again, it, it can get very emotional because I feel like, you know, the connection to that and it's a really, it's a really big experience and I'm just so happy to, to be a part of it. I'm really excited. Yeah, it's, I think teaching kids yoga in the elementary schools and, and teaching meditation in mm-hmm. high schools is probably yeah. the two most important things we could do. <laughs> I, I agree with you. It's, I mean, yeah, that's great if you understand math and science and that's important, but um, we've gotten so far away from uh, these practices, you know, and especially with technology. And I mean, there's so many, so much more we could say about this, but I just, I really uh, commend you because I think it's, it's a huge benefit to society to have, someone like you come in and teach meditation to the high schoolers. And, you know, I can see that there might be some, some red tape or some pushback <laughs> with some of the teachers, but, you know, I'm glad that you're going to keep persevering and hopefully expanding your program and your offerings. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I, I see that as a, you know, I see it as a misunderstanding to be honest. Yeah. I don't see it as a, I don't even see it as an argument to be, to be honest, you know, because I feel like I feel like if if that's the impression they they get, I'm sort of blaming myself a little bit for for you know for not not communicating that well enough. Yeah, and you I know, think because, uh, yeah because, yeah because I I feel like you know I feel like what I want to do is also to make their effort uh, more impactful impactful. You know um, I think that that uh, you know I think that their teachings what they're you know, what they're teaching the students is going to be more clear if these techniques are applied. 
So exactly. yeah, I, I think it's a win-win for everybody. But sometimes, you know, the communication part is is uh, the most troubling one. Yeah. Once you're moving on from that and you're there and you get an impression and you see the benefits, you know, there's no question. So it's really that space of the communication sometimes that can be tricky. Yeah, for sure. And that's that's true with anything, I think. Yeah, and, yeah you're right. Um, so you have a couple other super exciting things that you're working on. And I mean, we, we don't have very much time, but no, very no, no, quickly, <laughs> can you just tell us a little bit about the yeah. book that you're writing? Yes, I can. Um, yeah. So, you know, like, um, like we talked about before, also before starting the podcast, you know, it's like, sometimes you end up explaining something a million times, uh, and you're like, oh, I wish there was some sort of medium where people could, uh, where I could put this together. And it will be accessible to people all the time, and they could they could learn something. And also, you know, if if something they misunderstood, they could read it again or whatnot. Yeah. And so, you know, I came up with this idea of like doing a book, but I didn't want it to be you know a long read. I didn't want it to be another super detailed read where you you know you have to take a lot of time out to read it. Uh, and this also came together with the with the high school students also because I was like they have plenty to read, <laughs> plenty <laughs> yeah. to learn, and they have a lot to learn. And not only is that the case, but also you know so does the businessman who needs you know who who needs his time on his work and whatnot. We all busy, and so I figured I think it w- I think there's a need for a small manual, small book on meditation that could you know. Explain for people the benefits, also on a, you know, on a scientific level and neurological uh, level, but also could you know inspire and then get get things going relatively quickly. Yeah. Like so, the book is like, you know, it's not a long book. It's uh, you know, I try to stay in, a, I try to stay short with words, but be very precise and, you know, make the most of those words. And uh, I want people to see the book and go, mm, you know what, I could read that in, in, in this bus ride or I could read this in like, in like on this little journey I'm on anyway. And then, you know, and then after the book, you know, no way more about meditation, no way more about habits, no way more about that. Well, no matter what you're doing, no matter what you're thinking, you know, you're having an, an impact on something, uh, foremost your, your own brain. And I think, you know, it could really be a catalyst and a starter at getting people started because afterwards, you know, there's all these great pieces that I admire and have read myself. But I think the introduction and also in Danish, uh, the introduction is sometimes, you know, the most critical part mm. of like where it all began and how it takes off. And this, like, like in our field, there's so many incredible teachers already. There's so many people doing such an amazing work and I admire, you know, all of them for what they're doing. Um, and what I feel like where I, I can see myself contributing to this is to really get people started. And uh, I love doing, you know, more advanced stuff and take people further. But, you know, going from nothing to some meditation, you know, you just increased everything by <laughs> by a million, you know, because you went from nothing to applying something new and uh, that's the part I'm really curious and really interested about and I, I, I love exposing people to it I love introducing people and this book is uh, is in the same path with that mm. 
That's so awesome. And congratulations. That's a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So I know, and it's, I know it's going to be in Danish, but maybe, maybe someday you'll uh, translate into English. So that I, would, uh, I would love it. Others yeah. of us can <laughs> love read it, it yeah. too. It's, yeah. um, you know, that's the thing with any of these practices is it's not something you learn once and then you're done. No. You know, we have to keep coming back to it, whether it, yes. it, it is the triangle pose in your asana or it is the mm. uh, observation of your breath for the meditation yeah. or the concentration, I guess, more accurately. And, um, you know, so even if it is a small book, even if it is an introductory book, like that is so important. Mm. So that's that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, these days I'm testing it. So I'm, I'm, I'm handing it out to to people of all kinds of experiences. Yeah. Um, and so I have very beginners, but also have people who are, you know, done yoga for a while, but never meditated. And I have all kinds of people looking at this book. Um, and what is still really important for me is that no matter the level, you'll still get something. Yeah. You know, no matter what, you'll still learn something. And so far that's been the case, which I'm really excited about. But like, like I said, you know, there's so many great big pieces out there of, of knowledge and books. And uh, if I can, if I can convince people to spend a little bit of time reading this, but then, like just like the meditation, you know, it's a very simple practice, but the impact you're making is is, is huge. And I feel like I wanna, <laughs> you know, as much as I can, uh, replicate that in this book. Yeah. So you know, very very simple, very small, but still, you know, uh, the impact that you will get from reading it and and the the knowledge, of course, uh, will, will be greater. That's, that's, that's the hope, at least, yeah. That's amazing. Oh. Mm. <laughs> well, I think that is where yeah. where that will take – I mean, there's so much more I wanted to talk about, yeah, so maybe we'll, we'll some other time do more <laughs> sure. of a uh, – or we'll no. do a, maybe we'll do a second episode, season two. Um, well, I, I will be down for that. Uh, you can – Yes. Yeah. Because I Absolutely. know we would really love to talk about the business side of things. <laughs> yeah, it's super exciting. But maybe that's good to, to separate it here then and then maybe another. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But um, I just want to thank you so much for your time, Jeppa, mm -hmm. and your expertise and, and sharing your experience with meditation. And, you know, I agree with you that I think it's unfortunately it's so much harder to kind of um, get exposure around meditation as opposed mm -hmm. to asana in the modern sure. context, just because it is seen as less sexy. It's, it's yeah. how do you take a picture <laughs> of something that you can't see? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and exactly. so I think that's amazing that you're coming up with all these exciting projects to really, mm -hmm. you know, be dedicated to that. And that's, you know, again, what I'm trying to do a little bit with this podcast and steer some of my offerings towards as well, because it's just, that's, that is the root of the practice is the meditation and everything we do is geared towards getting us there. Yeah. So. Really. And, and, you know, like, like there's so many ways to, to roam. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, and some people, you know, they, they do competitive sports and, and you can sit down and talk with them and you can have similar experiences almost, you know, it's like there's these moments of meditative moments and what they do because they're so passionate about what they're doing. And, um, that's a whole nother subject of like realizing that like once again, you know, like what you're discovering has been around you all the time. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, I think we are way closer than we think we are. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. 
Just can we get still enough and quiet enough? Yeah. <laughs> That's the trick, yeah. Yeah. No, but but like Jessica, once again, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I'm I'm really honored to be a part of this and uh, like the way you're creating a community with this also I I really respect that a lot and I think you're doing a, a really good job. Thank so thank you. you so much for thank you. having me on. Yes, and to everybody listening, thank you so much for tuning in for another episode of One Sacred Pause. And we will be back next week. So have a great week, everyone. Bye-bye. Hada.